Today's dead idea, Viking Berserkers. And so far, we have heard all about the Berserkir and the Viking world, and now it's time that we start to live it. Specifically, we're going to experience law and vengeance in Viking Iceland. Today is a role-playing episode where you will become a berserker in court. <laughs> That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. The music we just heard was composed by Rachel Westhoff, my lovely wife, who is plotting her revenge for a vile insult. Someone tried to tell her that the 80s only produced one kind of music. <laughs> Actually, that person was me. This is a true story. <laughs> See, the, the thing was, when I was a kid, my parents would play, like, the radio station in yep. 80s songs. It was called Q102, and it had just, like, only the shittiest of right, the right. 80s. Was, all like, in a similar vein. Yeah, all, yeah. it wasn't that it was bad music. It was just all the same. It was like Stevie Wonder, the Bangles, just all that, like, light kind of shit, you know. Sure. But fortunately, Rachel, since I've known her, she has initiated me into the true mysteries <laughs> of the 80s and all its crazy-ass genres from, like, the New Romantics to Industrial to, like, Italo Disco, hmm. and now I am a convert to the new faith. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, she was seeking revenge against that insult, and today's word of the day is revenge. The Viking sagas were often all about revenge. And so will be our role-playing episode today. <laughs> Back for Vengeance is our co-host for the series, Andre Solo. My magic sword is groaning and ready to go. Ready to go. It's that's <laughs> probably not wanting to fight for you today. But <laughs> <laughs> and my hand hurts for some reason. Yeah, it depends if you tried to draw it in the presence of women or not. It's, well, why else would I draw it? <laughs> oh, you mean my metal sword. Oh, never mind, never mind. Sword. Yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Okay, so no, today, that one never produces groans. So. Yeah. <laughs> Moans, perhaps. I think there are listeners groaning as we speak. As that's, <laughs> that's likely true. So today is going to be a role-playing episode, and as always, the point of these role-playing episodes is to just really give a solid feeling for what it's like to live and breathe in the time and place of, you know, somewhere where they believed in the dead idea that we're talking about, in this case, berserkers, right? So this is going to be life as a berserker on the cusp of Christianization in Iceland, okay? About 1000 CE. It's likely that this game may go to two episodes, in which case today will largely be just setting the scene and giving a deep sense of Viking Iceland. And then next time will be full on like court battles, duels, religious confrontations, the whole nine yards. But although this is a game, this is not going to be just pure fiction. All of the details, almost all of the details that we hear today of the world and the culture of Iceland around 1000 CE, including all of the named characters Ooh. in our story today, wow. will be accurate to the depictions in the saga so far as we are able. And at the end, I'll reveal just a few things that I did invent to make the story work. But almost everything is true to the sagas. Now, of course... The sagas themselves can be questioned as to where the historicity of them. Uh, they were you know, semi-historical, and in some cases you'll find sagas that are clearly outright fictionalized. Um, so that's a whole other debate. But the world today that we're trying to evoke 
is at least trying to be faithful to the world depicted by the sagas. Specifically, our story today spins off of Njal's saga, which is one of the baddest ass sagas in all of Norse literature. It's fucking great. <laughs> it's fucking, don't do not call the sons of Njal little dungbeards if you want your head to stay attached to your neck. <laughs> Let me just say that. It's a story that's full of insults and revenge and betrayed friendships and strangely enough endless legal battles. <laughs> in fact, this saga almost reads like a John Grisham novel or something. It's so full of legal battles. Wow. And the reason why is because this reflects something about the nature of revenge in Viking Iceland. You see, in medieval Iceland, feuding and vengeance was going on all the time. Like, there was no end of it. It was like Hatfields and McCoys everywhere you looked. Hmm. But it didn't tear society apart because there was a whole complex legal system for how to go about doing it. So I, I love this idea because the concept of revenge, although emotionally satisfying to the person carrying it out, is a concept that, like, in practice, it just destabilizes society, right? Right, so, like and going so, rogue and taking the law into your own hands? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just you get all this feuding and it's just... But I love how this culture is not like, well, we're going to come up with moral principles that prevent it. They're just like, we're going to make it so litigious that nobody's <laughs> going to want to carry out their feud. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> or everybody just becomes no, an expert. No, it didn't really work out that way. Right. Moral is, I don't know if I'd quite use the word moral, but functional, perhaps. Right, right. Uh, for a society. Now, but I, I like that you bring that up because here's the thing about the nature of revenge in Viking Iceland and in most societies that are pre-modern. So in modern societies, we have things like, you know, laws that everybody knows. We have police to enforce the laws. We have courts and penal systems, you know, to punish people who don't follow the laws. And we hand over responsibility for enforcing the law to those systems, right. those social structures. Those did not exist in medieval Europe. Right. You had a king, he had an army, but he was not interested in enforcing the law if, like, there was some whatever little domestic dispute or somebody stole somebody's land, whatever, you could maybe bring your, you know, before a king's court thing and he would make a decision. But it, what his men were not police. You didn't right. have police around the corner that you could call with a whistle or whatever, you right. know. Yeah. That was not how it was. What justice was in medieval Europe, including Viking Iceland, was the other guy knowing that if he wronged you or your kin, you and your kin are going to come after his ass. Yeah. That is what kept society together. So going and taking revenge for a slight was not taking the law into your own hands and going rogue. It wasn't vigilante justice. It was what justice was. So actually, so I, I think I should say that my the reason that revenge destabilizes society is not necessarily because of the vigilante, like taking the law in your own hands uh, part of it. All. That, that would be true in a modern setting. Because in a, in a culture like what you're describing, where there is no police force and no, you know, widely agreed upon enforced law, mm -hmm. um, having your whole family go after people who mess with you is one way to establish order. Mm -hmm. But another way would be that the community settles it. And that's seen in a lot of cultures as well. And yes. the problem is that when one guy decides, well, you stole my horse, so I'm going to come and kill you. And then his family is like, well, you killed our sons, so we're going to come and kill your brother. And like, well, you killed our brother, so we're going to come and kill you. So that destabilizes even the society that doesn't have very good laws. And that's why right. they have exactly that kind of system yeah. in Iceland. Exactly. Right? So one way that you could take revenge is killing somebody. Right. 
but you could also negotiate for Weirgild, which was like a payment paid to you in compensation for your loss of your kin or whatever, or uh, you could take it to court. And there was a whole complicated thing. And we'll get into all of that. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So there was all this machinery, this social machinery, that regulated and kept the actual violence down, even though sometimes it did definitely resort to violence. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So that's a little bit about the nature of revenge and justice in Viking Iceland. So um, this is the kind of world that you're going to be thrust into here. You are going to be the <laughs> berserker in court. You're going to be the unfrozen Viking lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As for the game part of this, for anybody who hasn't listened to one of our role-playing episodes yet, we have a custom system that we have created for it, super duper double trademark, called Rock, Paper, Raven, or perhaps here we should call it Rock, Paper, Hraffen. That's <laughs> Raven in Old Norse. <laughs> the basic system is extremely simple. It's just like Rock, Paper, Scissors, except instead of scissors, we have the same gesture, but we call it Raven. Because it looks like a Raven's beak, right? It does, yep. Yep. If your character attempts anything where there's a significant chance of failure, then we do a Rock, Paper, Raven. Yep. And if you win, then you succeed. If you lose, then you don't succeed. The only catch is, what happens with a tie? If your character, for whatever reason, has advantage in a situation, like you're particularly good on something or the situation favors you, then a tie goes to you. If you have disadvantage, the opposite happens. Got it. Mm -hmm. That's the system. We're going to see a little bit of elaboration in the system as we get into the game, but we'll leave that till then. Okay, so let's play. So it is 1000 CE. Christianity has arrived in Iceland. Numerous missionaries have come and gone, including the Saxon missionary Thangbrand. Norway, which is Iceland's chief trading partner, has been exerting extreme pressure on Iceland. Last year, Norway's Christian king Olaf Tryggvason seized and held hostage numerous Icelanders who were staying in Norway, the sons of prominent Icelandic families mostly, and threatened to kill them if Iceland did not convert to Christianity. King Olaf relented, though, in exchange for the promise of two Icelanders to return to Iceland and further spread the faith. Those two were Gitzur the White and Hjalti Skegjason. Do you remember Hjalti? He was the one who said the, ver the blasphemous verse and got outlawed. <laughs> I love this Freya. guy. Yep. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> Wait, and, can, you, can you tell us the verse again? The ver Okay, yeah, I can. Hold on. <laughs> so uh, he's going to be very well known for that. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so hold on. Okay, here's the verse. In Old Norse, Vik ek egi gotgeja, greithiki merfreja, which means, I have no desire to bark at the gods, but I consider Freya a bitch. <laughs> I'm just picturing people like trying to to recite this poem. You're like, did you know what he said? But they don't want to get caught saying it, right? Yeah, and poetry like that—that that was a big fucking deal in the Viking yeah. world. Part of it was lore around it, which it had like magical spellbinding power. But part of it also was like a sociological thing. When you put something in verse, it's easier to remember, so therefore it's mm. easier to disseminate through the community. So if you do something that's like insulting somebody else in verse, everybody's uh, gonna hear about it, right? You know? Oh, I like that. That's so a good, it's, yeah. it, when you make a poem, it is a public act. Hmm. And that has power. Hmm. So, yeah. It was the blogging of the Viking Age. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, as a result of all this activity and foreign pressure, Iceland is now 
at a tipping point when it comes to religion. Tensions are high, and the island seems ready to explode into religious conflict. You are a young boy at the tender age of 15 years old, which is old enough to be considered a man. Already at 12, you are considered a man. But as of yet, you are unproven in battle. The others do not yet hail you as a dringer, which is a term of respect that literally means boy or lad, but really means something more like a trusted warrior, someone in your warband that you can count on, uh, okay. one of the boys. Right. Yep. And by the way, women could earn the right to be called dranger as well. Hmm. Yep. Oh, wow. Yep. Like, under what circumstances? Uh, I think if they just prove to be badass enough, nice. and, like they're they're like a warrior woman type. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. We might have done the warrior woman thing. And um, as listeners, as you'll see, uh, when we get to our badass women episode... Women could become warriors. Nice. Yeah. 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 Anyway, you have grown up in the Bear Isles. That's really what they're called. (laughs) Excellent. That lie off the northwest coast of Iceland. Your mother is the fiercely independent landowner, Steinun. An outspoken... She's a dranger, for sure. Well, because she's not (laughs) not a warrior woman. No, no. However, she is badass. Right. And here's how badass she is. So, steinun, which literally means stain stone, and un, love. So, stone love is her name. Make of that what you will for a mother figure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. She, in Njal's saga, goes up against the missionary Thangbrand with a war of words. Hmm. Yeah. Here's the bit about your mom. Okay. So... In Yal Saga, this is how this is all that's depicted of her, and then we'll spin off the story from there, right? Okay. So Steinun, actually, she meets this missionary, Thangbrand, and she tries to convert him to paganism, and she does so in a contest of words. Yes. Yes. So she says, "Have you heard that Thor challenged Christ to the home, the duel, and that Christ did not dare to fight against him?" <laughs> And Thangbrad says, in return, I have heard that Thor would be naught but dust and ashes if God did not permit him to live, answered Thangbrand. (laughs) Then she said, Do you know who wrecked your ship? Because his ship had shipwrecked when he got to Iceland. He says, What do you have to say about that? And she says, I'll tell you. And then she goes into verse, which is how you are badass. If you go into verse, you know you're, you're badass. Was the boat of the Bell's warder beached it angry godheads, shattered by the ogre's offsprings, awful slayer holy, crushed was the craft, nor saved your Christ, the iron-hoofed road steed, God in no wise guarded, Gilfi's reindeer we nigh. And she spoke yet another verse. Thor thrusted then far off Thangbrand's ship from harbor, shook the mast and shoreward, shoved it on the sandbanks, Never, ween I, will that wane of Atal's kingdom sail the swan's land after since by him t'was splintered. <laughs> Thereupon Thangbrand and Steinun parted, and Thangbrand and his men traveled west to Bardastrand. Hmm. And that's what we hear about your mother Steinun. I love it. Therefore, we don't know what happens to her or what progeny she may have. Right. So that's where your story begins. <laughs> and as her son, I'm like really sick of hearing people recite her little poem that she shamed. Yeah, she's like, oh, it's not even that good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
As for your father, you never knew him. Hmm. In fact... Typical berserker. <laughs> in fact, to listen to your mother, you never had a father. <laughs> Not a mortal one, at least. Yes. <laughs> she claims that you are the son of Odin, the god of oh. war, poetry, and magic. You're pretty sure that you're not the son of Odin. But in any case, you did grow up without a father. And the closest thing that you had to a father figure was a strange wanderer named Otrik, who was the berserker that Thangbrand went up against. Oh, interesting. We did see that story in the first episode. Mm -hmm. He would visit Steinun, your mother, from time to time, and he taught you to fight. He taught you to bite your shield, to howl, and to show no fear for blade nor fire. Hmm. He initiated you into the ways of the Berserker. Unfortunately, you shall never see him again, for last summer, after Steinun had her battle of words with the missionary Thangbrand, Otrig challenged Thangbrand and fell by his blade. You might seek vengeance for this, but alas, Thangbrand has since gone back to Saxony, so sucks. Hmm. There's nothing you can really do about it right. in Iceland. Yeah. So that's you. You're a frustrated young boy. You're eager to prove yourself, but you are unable to do so, at least not against this Thangbrand guy. What's worse, your mother, after going her whole life refusing to marry and making up stories about Odin and all this shit, but she's telling you and you're like, come on, mom, I'm like 15. Tell me this truth, right? Suddenly, she takes a husband. So you're like, who's this guy? You're not my dad. Right. (laughs) This was a political move. Oh. And this part I'm making up, right? Okay. This is I'm spinning off the story, sure. right? But it's gonna fit within the actual story, hmm. right? Okay. So this was a political move on her part. It was done in order to broker a peace between the local heathens and Christians. She, being an outspoken heathen, agreed to marry an outspoken Christian named Islief, son of that prominent Christian Gitzer the White, that was sent back to Iceland by the King of Norway to preach the faith. Got it. Mm-hmm. So this heathen Christian union was meant to symbolize peace in Iceland, but you had a bad feeling about it I from the start. I do have a bad feeling because it's sort of like, I mean, every time you make peace, don't the Christians kind of win? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll see. You know, Maybe this time will be different. Why do the terrorists win, Mom? Yeah. On the eve of her wedding night, she gripped your shoulder and said that she had had a vision. Hmm. She saw Filkia, which is a kind of almost like a personal guardian spirit. And in traditional lore, if you see your Filkia, that's not good. It means that your death is imminent. Hmm. So this was the night before her wedding. The night before her wedding. She's got to stay alive long enough for this peace marriage. Mm -hmm. 24 hours, Ma, let's do it. (laughs) Maybe it was just more of her made-up stories, this thing about the Filkia, but it left you uneasy nonetheless. And soon after, she found herself big with child, Hmm. which the local Christians, at least, hailed as a minor miracle at her fairly advanced age. Hmm. If you're 15, she must be at least like 30. And this is presumably by her new husband. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So now it's time to make your character. That's your backstory. Okay. Mm -hmm. So your character is a berserker. Okay. You're trained by Otrig, right? Yeah. Game mechanically, you have advantage if you use your berserker techniques, like the shield biting, the howling, etc. Mm-hmm. You have advantage on intimidation and combat. Great. Mm-hmm. 
Your techniques might not really make you invulnerable or blunt enemy blades or things like that, but you might very well think they can, mm. and that, in any case, might give you confidence in battle, etc. That right. kind of thing, right? Now, the question is, what kind of berserker are you? And I've got Ooh. three classes for you to oh, choose Oh, this is from. great. Okay. Yep. So here are your three choices. You can be the duelist, hmm. the manipulator, Ooh. or the poet. Oh, gosh. Wow. Mm -hmm. Do I know anything about the abilities so of So the duelist is good at the homgong, or duel. Okay. Okay? You have advantage in duels, and you also have advantage on any kind of things to do with legal lore and customs related to dueling. Wouldn't the, since the Berserker already has advantage in combat, you said, wouldn't that just be the same? Good question. So remember I said we we're going to elaborate the rules just a little bit? Mm -hmm. So what happens if you have advantage in combat and you go against somebody who also has advantage in combat because uh, they're good okay. too? They would cancel each other out, right? Right. But if you have two sources of advantage... Then I still have advantage. Then you still have advantage. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that one is dueling and legal stuff. Yep. Uh, the duelist suffers disadvantage in private negotiations because lately people, especially berserkers, have been exploiting the customs of dueling to their own end, mm -hmm. and so they've got a bad rep. Got it. Yep. Okay, so you, the mistrust leads you to have disadvantage in private negotiations mm -hmm. with people. Okay? The manipulator is specialized in private negotiations. Ooh. You're basically like a chieftain in the making. That's, uh, that's like okay. in your story arc later, if you live long enough, right? You are good at the kind of backroom political dealings that are how you like, gain and keep support as a chieftain. You're good at that kind of thing, persuading people. So you don't necessarily mean manipulator in the sense of like being just a skeezy, like shadowy guy, but like... Pulling the strings. Pulling the strings, yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Yep. However... Because you have this ability, you tend to over-rely on your allies and underlings and things that you can convince to do stuff for you, mm. and your combat abilities have lagged as a result. So you have disadvantage in single combat, which means as a berserker, you you have advantage as a berserker, disadvantage as a manipulator, so it'd come out to zero, like no advantage or disadvantage. Right. Okay. Make sense? Yep. Okay, finally, the poet, which is like the skald, yep. right? You have the honey tongue. People in this culture, as we said, respect poetry for its capacity, not only to sway hearts and minds, but also because it has a spellbinding power about it. And for this reason, you have advantage in swaying crowds of people with public oratory. So that's different from private negotiations. This is public oratory mm. with crowds. Okay. However, your attachment to words also causes you to feel the sting of words more deeply than other people. Ooh. If anyone speaks ill of you or your kin, you suffer disadvantage on all rock, paper, raven tests until you manage to shame them or their kin. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to dish it back. Ooh, wow. <laughs> hmm. Yep. Wow, this is a really tough choice. Okay, so I'm, I'm 15? Yep. Okay, so I'm 15. I'm not yet accepted as, like, having proven my ability in, in combat Correct. to, like, my fellow warriors. I think I think I'm gonna go with duelist. All right, yeah. duelist it is. Yeah, you're called the home gang mother, by the way, the home gang man. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. So now you can give a name to your character. I have uh, some names that you can choose from if you want. Do you have any nicknames? I have a name. Yes. Okay, I might want to look at the nickname list. What is your name? Snorri. 
Snorri. Not the Snorri, right. but Snorri. A different Snorri. Yeah. Yep, okay, Snorri. It's just such a cool name. Okay. Now, after your given name, you would have the patronymic, which would be like somebody, somebody's son, so, or somebody, somebody's daughter. Yeah. Um, Assuming I'm named after my mom. Yeah, because you don't know who your father is, so yeah. you would be Steinonson. Steinonson, okay. Mm-hmm. But you might instead use a nickname. Mm-hmm. And there were some good ones. Okay. Sometimes they're badass, and sometimes they're just fucking good ones. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so among the badass ones, I have seen, for example, Sigurd Snake in the Eye, <laughs> or Halbjorn Half Troll. Ooh, that's good. Or Raven, or Crow. Sometimes people are named stuff like that. In the just fucking good category, there are such names as Thorolf Mostbeard, <laughs> Thorgrim the Showy, Ooh, okay, Ulf the Squinter, the what? The Squinter, he squints like squinting your yeah, eyes, right? Bjorn Butterbox, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, one of my favorites is the star of the the show Vikings on the History Channel, Ragnar Lothbrok. Hmm. If you know what Lothbrok means, you would not see him as nearly as badass. <laughs> Lothbrook means Harry Britches. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> He's Ragnar Harry Pants. That's pretty good, actually. Yeah. And it has to do with a story where early on in his career, he goes up against, it's either two serpents or kind of dragons, depending on how you read the story. And for some reason, he thinks if he wears these britches with this kind of like furry bits on them, or I don't know what they are exactly. It's like Harry, right? Mm. That it'll somehow protect him. And then he wades into an icy stream to freeze them so that they're firmer, like iced up, that somehow that's going to protect him from the snake bite. Hmm. And he does defeat the serpents. I mean... So they call him Harry Bridges. the thing can't bite through the ice pants. I would think that there's better ways to protect your legs against a snake bite. <laughs> <laughs> so he's Ragnar Harry Bridges. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so... What would you like? I was going to go with Snorri the Streamer. because Streamer. I, I feel like he wants to stream all of his berserking on Twitch so that other people can follow <laughs> along online. But I'm not going to shove a funny anachronism into the story. I think it's going to be Snorri Ankle Grabber. Ankle Grabber. Yeah. Nice. And there's a story for why. Okay. So he hasn't proven himself as a warrior yet, so this is not like in a great battle or something. Okay. But in some kind of fight or brawl, uh-huh. the other guy had actually knocked him down, and it looked like he was out cold, and people were kind of like cheering for the other guy, and the other guy was getting ready to walk away, but he managed to just like throw one arm out and grab the guy's ankle just mid-step and pull him down, he tripped him onto the ground as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure later in my life, in my career, I'll try to spin this story so that like with one hand I crushed his ankle to a pulp and uh-huh. you know, then killed him with his own ankle or something, but in reality we probably just tussled on the ground for you a while. You tussled and you got a, your hand just right in the position. Yeah, it may not have it. even been like a, a definitive victory for me, but it was a pretty badass comeback, right. so I got the name Ankle It made grabber. for a good story. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Alright, Snorri Ankle Grabber. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to be heathen, like my mom, that's for sure. Okay. Yeah. Alright. Okay, let's begin. Yes. It has been seven months since your mother fell pregnant. Summer warms the coasts and ridges of Iceland, the time of the annual Althing, the highest assembly of the island, where all the most important decisions of the year are made, is fast arriving. Unlikely you will see it, however. You have been sent on a week-long errand of trade to the various port villages along the mainland coast to acquire needed goods, including a rare herb 
that your mother will use to ease the pain of birth when the child comes in a few months. Hmm. You put on your tunic, your breeches, your stocking breeches, which I think are the kind of things that are like, you see, laced up and go all along the calves, I think. A cloak. And also you pack your spear, shield, bow with a dozen arrows, and either your choice of an axe or a sword. I'm thinking I'm just going to go with sword. Sword. Yeah. These are your folk weapons, which in most parts of Scandinavia, you are actually required to maintain and people will come and inspect annually to make sure that you are maintaining those weapons. Wow, yeah. okay. Yep. And if I'm not, like, there's a punishment for it, I guess? Yeah, there must be. Wow. And I couldn't find exactly how it worked in Iceland, if it did, but it, it was across the Viking world. Hmm. With your folk weapons in hand, you set sail along the coast in a small cargo boat loaded with a chest full of woolen cloth called Vathmal. These are fresh off the loom of the women of your family's estate, because your mother's a landowner, mm-hmm. and they represent no mean trading good. Hmm. In fact, Icelandic cloth was so valuable that it was actually used as the local currency. Most of the Viking world uh, traded in silver. Here in Iceland, you trade wool. Wow. And there's like an established exchange rate between wool and silver. That makes sense. It's going to suck to make change. You're not going to cut up some wool. Yeah, you might. They would cut up coins. Well, yeah, but like wool becomes much less valuable if it's in tiny patches. That's that's true. I mean, you might cut a yard off or something, but yeah. 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 I'm sure and, they would just make change in whatever other good is going to make sense in the situation. Yeah. Yeah. You can ask Roderick Dale. <laughs> right. At each port town and village along the coast, one by one, you trade the bolts of Vodmal for everything on the list of goods needed. Lastly, the palliative herb for the birthing leaving Vatmal worth 100 ounces of silver left over. After a long week, you are about to board your boat and head home, when you notice villagers abuzz with gossip. In hushed tones, they say they heard that an arrow broken in half was received by their local gothi, or chieftain. This is the war arrow, a token that functions as a muster to arms. Hmm. When you receive a war arrow like this, Basically, like, you get it sent to you, and then you know that you're supposed to come and fight. And right? probably bring all of your And there's, like, an established... Yeah, yeah. You'd bring all your followers, and there'd be, like, an established point where you would muster. Hmm. But moreover, you would then send on your own war arrow to all of your guys. Oh, right, right. Or people that you had contact with, so that it would quickly disseminate through the land. It was kind of like a calling tree, almost, hmm. kind of a system. Yeah. Well, that's sense. how they that's how they did the muster and so the war arrow has been sent out this cannot be good you had better get home fast however at the docks you find your path blocked by a strange figure in a broad-brimmed hat and a long gray beard hmm. Ooh! whoa Ooh. that's like an odin look right could be you might take it that way i'm taking it that way <laughs> hold there youngling the figure says, you are the son of Steinun, are you not? I have news of your mother. Then he hands you something in a wrapped cloth. You unwrap it and find a morsel of cooked horse flesh. This is meaningful for you because horses, if we can trust Ibn Fadlan's account that we heard in the stories episode, right. horses are sacrificed at Viking funerals. Hmm. 
I'm sorry, he says. He then introduces himself as Valgard the Grey. Valgard, I always geek out about the names. Valgard means enclosure of the battle slain. Mm, so it's like wow. Valhalla, battle slain, and guard like like a nice. castle yard. Yeah. Like a yard, basically, yeah. Hmm. Valgard. So Valgard the Grey is his name. You have heard of him. He is another staunch heathen, so it's not surprising that he would know your mother. Hmm. He says that events have transpired in your absence. Terrible events that are causing an uproar throughout Iceland. While your stepfather was away recruiting support for his upcoming lawsuits at the Althing, your mother gave birth prematurely. And the child came out malformed of limb. Hmm. It was lame in its legs. Mm -hmm. So, following traditional heathen custom, she exposed the child on the shore. For, as you know, it is commonly believed that Iceland can only support a small population, hmm. and so exposure of the weak is customary. Yeah. However, when your stepfather Isleif returned and discovered this, he flew into a rage and struck her with his hand so hard that she fell dead. Jeez. Oh, he announced this act to the nearest neighbor as his proper. As his proper? Yep. Like, so hey guys, there was... he killed my wife, just letting y'all know. Yep. So this is actually part of that legal machinery. Hmm. So there's an interesting distinction in uh, Viking law between murder and manslaughter, and it is not the distinction that we have in modern law. Hmm. Okay. In modern law, it's about were you intending to kill the person or not? Was it premeditated or not? Right. Right. Manslaughter is like killing by accident, mostly. Right. In the Viking world, manslaughter meant that you killed the person and you didn't try to cover it up. You were required to report the killing to the nearest home that you saw as you were riding away, and you could not pass up more than three homes, and you could not pass up any homes unless there was kin of the person that you killed who might, you know, wish ill of you. Hmm. So you go to the nearest non-hostile house and be like, guys, I killed this dude. Exactly. Wow. And if you didn't, or if you tried to hide the body, you just tried to pretend that you didn't do it, that was what murder was. Right. Yes. So... Hmm. He announced it as proper to the nearest neighbor, admitting, yep, I killed Stanon. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> right? So now, Valgard says, everyone is now speculating on what you will do. Hmm. Because this is an act that calls for vengeance. Yeah, it certainly is. And the duty falls to you. Nose is closest to eyes. He says, <laughs> which is a Viking proverb that means you are the closest of kin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do not envy you, young one, says Valgard the Grey. Too early has fate thrust this upon your shoulders, but heavier still is your burden, I'm afraid. You see, your mother's marriage was to be the symbol of peace, to finally quench the flames between heathen and Christian. But instead, it has ignited those long smoldering coals into a great conflagration. Hmm. The heathens say Stanon was right to expose the child, and Isleif's intemperate reprisal was a vile act worthy of outlawry. But those of the new faith say exposing a child is ungodly and wicked, and Stanon's death avenged the child. Therefore, the entire island is divided over this, and their passions are threatening war. So basically, this is blown up on the internet, and it's like grown beyond <laughs> your mother and your stepfather. Right. It's now like 
like a huge controversy. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Now, hear my advice, young one. Tread carefully. Bloodlust surely burns in your veins. Thor, yeah, it does. <laughs> <You know>? Thor, yeah. <laughs> I would be like, why shouldn't I just go back and just cut this guy down? Yeah. I and can take him. That's I'm the ankle grabber. <laughs> Perfect. Valgard says, do not act hastily. If you attack Isleaf now, there are enough on his side that you may be outlawed for it. Do not return home either, or Isleaf will surely try to provoke you into attack, or otherwise try to eliminate you as a threat, perhaps by, like, pressing you into the Christian army or something, to, you know, manufacturing your death somehow, hmm. so that you can't get back at him. Instead, go to the old thing and plead your case there. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, normally this kind of case would go first to, like, a quarter assembly, not the super assembly, mm-hmm. but I'm just going to fast-track it, Got and it. I'm going to use the excuse that there's this controversy... That's just like, yep, okay. Everybody has to decide now. Yeah, and it's the next one coming up. Sure. Okay. Now, I would offer to take up the case on your behalf. But alas, my son Mord is married to Geetzer's daughter Thorkatla, so it would be unbefitting of me to confront Geetzer openly. However, I will have my men gather necessary witnesses for you, and I will also advise you behind the scenes. Oh, that sounds great. I'll say thank you, Volgar. Enough are sympathetic to your cause that you may prevail. Even if not, though, and the disagreement comes to blows, you will at least die with honor, so long as you proceed legally. If you proceed illegally, or you fail to avenge our mother, shame will be upon yourself and your kin. Hmm. So basically, your mission in this game is to go to the Althing, press your case against Isleaf, your stepfather, for the killing of your mother, Stenun, and try to get him declared an outlaw so that you are then allowed to kill him without anybody getting back at you. So you need the court decision to declare him an outlaw, and then I can kill him. Exactly. So the court decision makes it okay for you to enforce the law on him personally. But this is an unusual situation, right? Like, normally, since he killed my mom... I could just go and kill him as revenge? Like, nope. wouldn't have to go through court? No. Nope. Oh, okay. No. Nope. So you always have to get permission first. Yep. So the community decides, yes, this guy wronged you. You may carry out the punishment. Exactly. Okay. That is that social machinery That's that, check that I was on talking the, about. Yeah. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, even if it's totally clear that uh, somebody wronged you, mm-hmm. even still, if you kill them, it's still expected that their kin can demand, like, a guild payment right, from okay. you. Like, there's there's a scene in Yal Saga where somebody advises somebody to, like, okay, here's what you're going to do. You want to get back at this guy, right? He wants to get at you. So you guys are going to fight, but I'm going to have my, my my men standing by, and I'm going to intervene in the fight hmm. at the point where you think you've killed enough men that you can pay for, but not so much <laughs> that you can't pay for. Wow. <laughs> wow. So it's understood that every man you kill, you're going to have to pay for. So right now... Assuming the all thing decides in my favor, he owes me money as well. That depends what punishment that you ask for in I the get trial. To, I get to request. Because I'd rather have his head than his stupid Christian money. Hmm? Yep. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. Now, Do I you want to ask any further questions of uh, Valgard? Ask him anything. Um, okay. So I need to... So he said he's going to have his men gather witnesses for me. Yep. 
And the witnesses are usually the nearest people to the crime. Right. And crime, even the word crime is not... A, to the killing. To the killing. Yeah. And um, it don't think of them like eyewitnesses, like I saw what happened right. and I can testify. It's more like I'm within a reasonable distance that when I heard the story, <laughs> it had not become so exaggerated right, right, that, right. you know. Like hearsay is not only admissible, it's the main evidence that's going to be used. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And also the witnesses would also go and visit the scene of the killing and they would look at, you know, how things were arranged and be like, okay, this fits what I have heard. This right. is This is fits what they're saying about what happened. Hmm. And then they would testify as such. Right. The guy who did the killing is the stepdad whose name is... Isleaf. Isleaf. Isleaf, mm-hmm. Isleaf, Isleaf. And his dad is Geetzer the White. And that's the Christian dude. Yep. And so basically the entire Christian community or church or whatever sees this as like, what, what justifiable? That like she killed a child so they he was justified in killing her? Yep. That seems to be... The majority opinion okay. that's flying about, okay. and the majority heathen opinion is oh, that was she was just following custom. Yeah, standard. Yeah, standard operating procedure. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's all I really need to know. Um, yeah, I guess I'll go and where is he advising me to go right now? Since I'm not supposed to run home and start a fight, straight to the all thing. Go to the all thing, and he's getting the rest witnesses. Yeah, all right, sounds good. Okay, all right. So traveling to the all thing. Head to the all thing. And this is going to let us see a little bit of what Iceland is like, your journey here. So you travel to the Althing, taking great care in these dangerous times. Anytime you see like a port village and like people practicing arms, nope, passing it on, you mm. know, just like stay out of it. Get to the Althing. You hug the coast with your cargo boat, avoiding settlements if you can, and sail almost to Reykjavik, Reykjavik, yep. the modern capital of Iceland. But at this time, it's actually just a bunch of farmland, mm. pretty much. There must be something there if the all thing's being held there. Oh, it's not being held there. You oh. sail almost to Reykjavik. Almost, got it. And then at that point, you turn into a fjord called Felfjordr, which means whale fjord. Hmm. And from there, you, f- you sail up the fjord. You've got these soaring cliffs on both sides. And you go all the way as far inland as you can go in this fjord. And then after that, you have to stow your boat. So you're going to have to make arrangements. So you make arrangements with a local villager who makes probably a fine living doing this for all these people traveling to the all thing. And you make a careful account of everything on board, all those goods you acquired in the trading and stuff to make sure that it's still there when you get back. Mm. And then you rent a wagon. You travel inland, taking your vadmal with you because you you might need that wealth to that trade, sense. to bribe people, etc. at yeah. the all thing, right? Then you traverse the landscape and it is jagged and it is soaring the highest points of iceland are capped with glaciers as we've mentioned while many areas royal with volcanic activity um, before we get to the all thing can i do something yeah okay so i'm not eating on this journey at all i'm gonna fast unless it's like a four-week journey or something if it's like a reasonable like it's gonna be a week or something yeah yeah so i'm gonna fast on the journey and when we make land after I, you know, do all that, you know, account for all the goods, etc. Um, I'm assuming that some of this land we're traveling through would have some woods uh, or something. That's an interesting thing about the landscape of Iceland. It's almost completely treeless. Interesting. Okay. The only thing that grows there for trees is birch, pretty much. 
and even the birch kind of grows kind of crooked and knotty and stuff. Hmm. And what I read said it was had something to do with the like instability of the climate. It can be mild, but it can also be quite harsh in the hmm. winters. Um, it's having to do with being just on the cusp between like the mild, um, warmer yeah. um, winds coming from the Atlantic, but then like the cold, frigid winds coming from the polar regions. Right. And so it's really tough for, th- for things to grow there. Makes sense. And so it's mostly uh, heath and rock and lava plains. <laughs> right. <laughs> Literally lava plains, like lava yeah. rock plains. Wow. Where nothing grows. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to walk through this land. And uh, are there ravens at- that I see at all? Oh, yes. Perfect. I'd like to head in the direction of the ravens and, you know, head up into the hills or whatever. You do? Okay. Um, when I get to the place where the ravens are, I'm going to basically spend the night there. Okay. And I'm going to break my fast at sunset by mm-hmm. chewing on the horse flesh and, and eating it from that was given to me from her funeral. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to basically, uh, I'm going to seek a vision for my mom and ask her what I should do. Excellent. I don't know if I'm going to get a vision, but that's my goal right here. Excellent. Yeah. So you, you, so you like, so it's like overnight, that's during the day or? I'm going to spend the whole night uh, okay. on this hill. So you, you, so you spend the night in vigil. Yeah. Wrapped up in my wolf skin, I guess. Yep. Yeah. So you spend the night in vigil and you have a bunch of crazy dreams. You can't really make sense of them. You're thinking, hmm, maybe that means something. But then in the morning from this high rock that you had gotten to, you notice two structures down below. Hmm. One of them looks like it's like an earth and turf house, like many that you have seen on farmsteads, like a long house. And they're married not of timber in Iceland, because wood wood is scarce, but it's made of earth and turf. But this one is not a long house. It's far too small. It would be enough for one person at the most. And you can just see in the yard, it looks like there's like... Maybe animal skulls and things kind of hanging out on a line. Hmm. And then there's this weird earthen platform hmm. out there, too. Would I be familiar with these types of platforms from religious customs or anything? Yeah. You might think that this might have to do with some kind of a sorcerer or seer. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other structure that you see, a ways off and like further down along the road, you can see a larger earthen turf structure that has a cross on top and a graveyard next to it. But that's not the same as the sorcerer area. It's different. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's along the same road. Sure. But you'll come to the sorcerer one first. Okay. I'm going to so, head down to the sorcerer place. Actually, yeah. are there any raven feathers where I uh, spent the night? Yes, there is a raven feather. I'm going to definitely grab that. Nice. Is there just one? Just one. Okay, I'll take that and um, I'll, I'll hold on to it for now. Right. Yeah. Excellent. And I'll, I'll say thanks to Odin, basically. Excellent. I'll, I'll actually, I'll, I'll tell him in like a prayer before I depart the hill. I'll be like, I don't know if you're really my father, but my mother believed in you strongly and I need your help in this. Excellent. And I'll probably make a bunch of promises like I'll honor you with this sacrifice and I'll name this kid after you and you know, all that stuff. Very good. Yeah. All right. So you go down from the, the, like the high outcropping or whatever you were on, get back on the road and travel along until you come to this like earth and turf hut. You find that outside the dwelling, what you saw is, yep, indeed, animal skulls. And then there's also a bunch of bolts of cloth that are dyed red, hanging outside and drying. And a bunch of mushrooms hmm. that are red with white spots, also drying Great. from the line. Smoke rises from a chimney. Mm-hmm. 
and the sound of pounding and grinding comes from inside. What's the, I mean, I'm trying to think of what's more Viking here, to knock on the door or just to like barge in? Maybe just to barge in. Yeah. I think I might just stick my head through the door and see what's in there. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So you do. Inside you find, yeah, and and I'm not not just like doing this for fun here. Right, right. like different cultures of different customs, right? Sure, yeah. What is considered private, what is public. Oh, right. You know, so. Yeah, I think you might have just just kind of like opened the door and been like, "Hello," <laughs> <laughs> because there in the sagas, there's like people come across like a hut like this that's empty, and they'll just like walk right in and wait for the guy to come home. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. So inside, you find the hut has only one room called a skoli, with a central open hearth and a raised level called a set. On the raised level squats a man grinding red volcanic rock into a powder. In a quern. Quern? Cairn. I don't know how to pronounce that. Quern. He's unusually clean-shaven, with a deeply lined face, and the lack of beard, and also the arrangement of his braided hair, and the low cut of his tunic, all strike you as distinctly effeminate. Hmm. Okay. And when you poke your head in, and he kind of looks up from his grinding casts a suspicious eye over at you and says, Out with it then? Ergi, they call it. Unmanliness. If you've come to insult me as well, then get on with it so I can get back to grinding my dice. You know, look around the room for a second, and then I'm just going to look at him and say, Ergi, I'm ankle grabber. (laughs) (laughs) So you obviously know what Ergi is. Right, right, right. Okay. So he's he's saying people insult him by calling him effeminate. Exactly. Yeah, okay. And for the benefit of the listener, Irgi is like a big thing in Viking culture. You did not want to be called effeminate. Okay. It was bad news. Like In that was, case I probably wouldn't I wouldn't even though he just kind of invited it, I probably won't say Irgi. I'll just say, Well, I'm ankle grabber. Okay. Very good. <laughs> and he's like, hmm, no, alright, well what can I do for you? My mother led me here. And Odin's Ravens. Odin's ravens, you say. And I'll I'll tell him the story. I'll tell him that my mother was killed by her Christian husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm on my way to the Althing to request permission to just kill the fuck out of him. <laughs> and that um, I spent the night um, seeking a vision for my mother. And the, the ravens led me to the spot to do that. And lo and behold, it's the hill right above your house. Mm-hmm. He has a feather, too. You, no, you, you oh, show. I, I'll show him the feather, yeah. You show him the feather. Right. He's like, oh. <laughs> He's like, you are the one everyone is talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the ankle grabber. (laughs) (laughs) I crushed that dude's ankle. (laughs) But this isn't about me. This is about my mom. (laughs) Okay, so he's impressed. And he's like, the fate of Iceland is in your hands. Hmm. I will help you if I can. And he says that he knows... The ways of herbalism. He also knows the ways of foretelling the future. Hmm. Well, those both sound pretty useful. <laughs> Which one would you like? Um. Or both. I mean, if I can get both, that sounds great. But I'm gonna ask for the the. I'll ask him to tell the future first. Okay. He agrees, and then he goes about. He like finds like a chicken from the backyard, slits its throat, sacrifices it. I don't know if chicken was the thing, but. That seems Some appropriate. Kind of edible bird. Yep. Yeah. He makes various invocations. And then he goes out to the yard and he mounts that strange earthen platform. 
and he says that he can see the spirits from up here. And he begins babbling in very old and archaic lines of poetry. And then finally he comes down and he reveals your fortune. He says, The time-worn gods in twilight go, their berserker beyond saving. By end of all thing, I must you act, or bitter shall be the biter of shields. By the end of the all thing, I must you act? Yeah, like, As yes, in you must take yes, action. you must act. Yeah. I-A-Y-E. Right, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's not how much. Like, what action am I supposed to take? Uh, <laughs> just kill some people. I'm going to try to resist saying, like, no, duh. <laughs> it's uh, like a fortune cookie. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> barely better than a fortune cookie. But it's a good verse. Yeah. You know, a lot of... Yeah. Okay. yeah. I will ask him... Uh, what all these herbs are that he's got going on. Okay. Well, he takes you outside to the drying line, mm-hmm. the clothesline, and he says, these mushrooms will help you or anyone you give them to to see the spirits. Well, that's pretty useful. Yeah. Great. And the mushrooms, they're basically like this Smurf house kind of mushrooms. Oh, yeah. 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 They're fly agaric. Yes. Very hallucinogenic. Straight up Mario mushrooms. Yeah. Native to Scandinavia. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll ask him... Uh, if he'd be willing to give me some of them. He gives you a pouch of them. Great. Uh, just give me elaborate instructions about what to not do with the pouch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yeah, we'll but skip we'll just, over that. Yeah, right. Um, I'd like to take out some silver and offer him some silver as a thank you for his services. Okay. So like some Vothmal? That was what I had in my... Right. Oh, sorry, that's right. I have wool that's worth 100. Yep. Okay, so I'd like to give him a bolt of wool or something as a thank you. He's very appreciative. I'm very appreciative. Yeah. I'm also going to ask him, what's the deal with this Christian um, hoodoo house over across the street here? Uh, it went up recently. The village raised a lot of money for it. Waste, in my opinion. Yeah, take a peek inside, if if you will, if you're of that persuasion. Anybody in there? Probably not right now. So we could burn it down? <laughs> 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 I suppose you could. Hmm. I'm thinking if this was Eagle Sega, uh-huh. he would just go and just trash this church right yeah, it's now. It's up to you. I'll give that some thought. All right. Okay. Um, anything else he has to say? That's oh, I'm going to ask him if there's anything I should know about this. Uh, I'm going to ask him if he, there's anything I should know about Geezer that he can tell me. He's not so clued into the politics of the day, unfortunately. Yeah. You'd right. be better to ask like a chieftain or somebody that you know. Or that Volgard. Cool. Volgard would probably be at the all thing, too. Great. All right. That sounds good. I'm going to... Uh, Thank him again and head on my way. Okay. I'm also going to take the raven feather and I'm going to like basically tie or braid it into the hair on one side of my head so that it's very visibly hanging. I'm wearing the wolf skin cloak and mm-hmm. the or the wolf hide and this big old raven feather. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. By the way, everybody, before we leave this scene, I just wanted to add a note of historicity here because if you watch the History Channel show Vikings, you might be misled into thinking that a sorcerer or a seer like this is supposed to live in a Stone Age hut, have a face like a lizard, a black tattooed mouth, and make you lick his palm. But let me tell you, that is completely made up. Insert 15-minute rant about the History Channel. Uh, No, but seriously, History Channel, you are really living up to your name once again here. Okay, so let me just set the record straight when it comes to Viking magic and religion. So the figure that we're seeing here in this scene is a practitioner of something called Sather or sorcery, which is a loose translation. You might prefer shamanism or something like that. Most commonly, this role would be filled by a woman, 
as women were generally the holders of magic in Norse society, as we heard in our Shield Maidens and Badass Women episode, a woman might be a vulba, or shaman, a spakona, or seer, or a seithkona, or sorceress. However, if a man takes up the role, he is called a seithmother, or seithman, and it is associated with effeminacy. And I'm not sure why, perhaps it has to do with the passive role in surrendering yourself over to the voice of the spirits, or something like that, but it seems to be associated with effeminacy for one reason or another. Now, a seithmother could be charged with ergi, or unmanliness, and I'm playing on that here. While I read nothing that depicts seithmother in effeminate dress explicitly, it is a common trope in many Semitic cultures to dress as the opposite sex to sort of accentuate your difference in society. And so here I've made this particular seithmother embrace that gender-bending aspect and taking on that kind of ergi shame and embracing it and just really living it. But even if that's not 100% accurate to history, I can at least say that it is more accurate, and I think a lot more interesting, than a lizard-faced, black-lipped palm licker. Thank you very much, History Channel. <laughs> but I still love the show Vikings. It's fucking great. Go watch it. <laughs> as long as we're on the topic of magic and religion, though, the spirits, quote-unquote, that the Seid Mother refers to in this scene may have been the Landvatir, or Land Whites. And while it's difficult to reconstruct much of Viking beliefs, and I don't want to press this point too hard, it's interesting that Norse religion did have a whole lot more variety than you might think. In addition to the normal gods that you always hear about, like Odin and Thor, which belong to the Azir, those gods, there was a whole other tribe of gods called the Wanir, from whom we get Frey and Freya, who are the god and goddess of fertility and beauty, respectively. And finally, there is the Landvatir, which are spirits tied to a particular place or geological feature. And they might be the ones that the Seidmother would be calling upon here. But even among just the Azir gods, the ones that we always hear about, like Odin and Thor, there's more variety even among them than you would normally think. Odin is commonly known as the chief of the gods, but it may have been only in the Viking Age that he took on that role, and even then, perhaps only among certain Viking societies or segments of society. Before that, the war god Tyr may have been chief among gods, and Thor was always an extremely popular and powerful god, perhaps more so than Odin. Well, Frey was the supposed ancestor of the royal line in Sweden, and so may have been more popular there. Odin's rise may have been quite a recent development, in fact. Something about this enigmatic god of war, death, and poetry may have called to a new generation, suddenly risking life and limb to make their name raiding abroad, perhaps? We just happen to have gotten a snapshot of Norse beliefs right at a particular time in history, when in fact Norse religion was a whole lot more variable and fluid across its different cultures and across time. Okay, back to the roleplay. So you make your way on, you come to the church, okay? So the church is, uh, it's a, like, a, like I said, a, a larger earthen turf kind of uh, structure. The doors are closed right now, they're wooden doors. There is a graveyard next to it, it has a wooden cross on top. Hmm. So as you approach the church, look around, you think you faintly hear the sound of moaning coming from the graveyard. 
<laughs> Great. Um, well, I was about to pound on the door, but I'm going to go check out the graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you go over to the graveyard, and then you hear a voice that says, Hello? Is someone there? Is someone there? I'm not going to say anything immediately, but I'm going to draw my sword. Okay, you draw your sword. You see that there is an open grave. Okay. That's, like, just dug up. And the voice seems to be coming from there. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I will I will uh, head over okay. and take a look in the grave. Okay. So up close, you find inside the grave, at the bottom of the grave, are three emaciated-looking men. One of them is quite dead. Ooh. Another is lying there in a daze, and a third, with a recent-looking scar on the side of his head, beseeches you. Oh, oh, he- hello there. Uh, please, sir, could you... Could you spare some water or, or food? I, I can pay. I can pay. I have water and food. What happened here? He introduces himself as Gilly. He and the others were freedmen. Okay. He and the others here in this grave were freedmen, meaning that they were once slaves, but they were freed. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they fell into destitution. And the law is, and this comes from a real law, it's in Norway, not Iceland, but it's too good to pass up. And the law is... They should lie in a grave until only one of them is left alive, and then the survivor must be supported by the man who freed them. <laughs> so it's a it's an endurance contest to see who can live the longest, and then you get supported. But who frees them? Whoever pulls them out of the grave. Uh, no, so legally, they oh, are the man who the, who gave them their freedom in the first legal, place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, has to support. Has to financially support them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So one of them is clearly dead. One of them is alive, but has a scar. What's the status of the third one? In a daze. Seems to be like, uh, like hmm. he's just probably been there a while or something. Right. Yeah. And the one that's alive and has a scar says, no, I would say that I have fairly good odds, but you see this son of a troll refuses to die here. And he kicks the one in a daze and he's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> So, you see, I'm in a bit of um, dire straits here, you could say, and uh, I could use some help. So, I I, I can serve you. I will be your thrall. I'll be your thrall. Trust me, the life of the freedman, I've tried it. It's not for me. (laughs) (laughs) If I give you food and water, that's kind of letting you ahead of the other gentleman here. And and that that would be how the, the fates would have it. Perhaps that is my weird, which is the word for the concept of... Sort of like fate and destiny in Norse culture. Hmm. Okay. I'll tell him. What is his name? Gilly? Gilly. Gilly, I'm Snorri the Ankle Grabber. Ankle Grabber. That's a very nice nickname. Yes, sir. Very I'm, nice. I'm here to kill Geezer. Geezer? Yes. Geezer the White? The Christian? Yes. Oh. Well, that will not be easy, but uh, just the same. If you help me out of here, I'll be happy to uh, do anything I can to help you. I don't need a thrall, but if you'll serve me faithfully and join my thing faction, my thing buddies. You want to become a chieftain? Well, I guess I'm not a chieftain, that's true. Well, you can yeah. be on your way. On my way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. come with me to the all thing and and, uh, and help me get revenge for my family. Uh, well, seeing that anything seems to be better than playing nutnecker in this grave with these two, <laughs> <laughs> I think I will take you up on that offer. All right, but we don't cheat honor around here. I'm going to throw down two skins of water. One you set next to your friend there. If he's strong enough to take it, then he can take it. 
If he's not strong enough, then fate is chosen. I'll, I'll take that deal. All right, I'll toss one to him and toss one down by the other guy. All right. He, he follows through with your wishes. Yep. And uh, he explains as you travel along, I presume. Oh, we don't travel along yet. Okay. Yeah. But, but go ahead. What does he explain? As I, okay, as so he, he explains out. how he got into this situation, mm-hmm. which is another interesting law that I found. Um, okay, so he explains that he was a juggler, mm-hmm. um, which falls into an interesting class of citizen in uh, in uh, Viking law okay. called players, like entertainers. <laughs> right. And uh, he says that, well, it was, in fact, the unfortunate life of a juggler that got himself into this mess. He says he was performing at a lord's hall when a drunken dranger, like a warrior, uh, became impatient with the act and struck him in the head with the haft of his axe, causing a bloody wound. You can see it right here. Mm. Now, for most people, this act would call for vengeance or redress by guild, But the procedure is rather different for players. Vikings <laughs> 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 well, were hating on the players. Yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> here is the law for players. And this comes from the Vastor Gotland Law from 13th century Sweden. So it's a little bit late and from a different area, but it's too good to pass up again, right? Mm-hmm. It says, if a player is struck, that is always invalid, meaning there is never any redress, no compensation, no oh, wear guilt. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. If a player is wounded, one who goes with a fiddle and with viol or drum, violin and drum, then a wild heifer is to be brought to the raised middle of the assembly place. Then all the hair is to be shaved off its tail, and the tail is to be greased. Then the player is to be given newly greased shoes, and then he is told to hold the heifer by the greased tail, and the heifer is to be lashed with a sharp whip. If he can hold onto the heifer (laughs) with his greased shoes holding the greased tail... (laughs) then he shall have this fine animal and enjoy it as a dog enjoys grass. But if he cannot hold it, let him have and put up with what he got. Shame and hurt. What? <laughs> Sucks to be a player. Wow. <laughs> so Gilly says that uh, in his case, he failed to hold on to the cow. He slipped and actually fell into the dung of the cow. Oh. And the story, it got round. So quickly um, that he was laughed out of every hall in Iceland, so he couldn't support himself anymore, and he fell into destitution. Hmm. So that's how he ended up here. Which gods do you follow? Uh, he looks at your chest. He's like, your gods, sir. You do now. <laughs> <laughs> like, no cross on there, I see. That's uh, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough then. All right. So, so there seems to be nobody have... else around the church. Is that right? Yeah, it seems to be quite empty. You've heard. Okay. I'm always going to look inside. Okay, you look inside. It's like wainscoted with like wooden walls inside. There's wooden statuary that would be quite expensive. Um, but otherwise, it's empty hmm. of people. There's like pews and like an altar, clearly. Okay, so here's my question. I'm assuming that burning down a church would be... This says as good as just going ahead and, and bypassing the all thing and, and taking revenge directly. Like now you're causing outlawry of your own, so to speak. You could very well be, yeah. You could definitely be held accountable for that. Yeah, probably just break the cross. Okay, you break the cross. <laughs> yep. Excellent. It in, in shatters on the ground. As you head out the church, you're like, "Well, that's done." You notice a man coming up the way who has a cross dangling from his from his neck. And uh, seems to have, like, some a bald spot shaved in his head. Great. Coming toward the church. Who is this jerk? I don't know. I don't, I don't recognize Geetzer. 
Nope, it's not Geetzer. Okay, great. Gilly says, oh, that's the local priest. I'll spit on the ground. Okay. <laughs> I'm becoming a real hater here. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> it's divisive. So he comes up, he looks at you askance a bit, and says, God be with you, and makes a sign of the cross. I'll and goes, smack his hand away. It's like, uh, well, a good day to you then, sir. And he goes inside, and, then I say and a he's verse. like, what in the name of all that is holy oh, happened in here? <laughs> so I'm coming in right behind him, and I'm going to uh-huh. grab him by... I, there are no lapels, I'm guessing. I'll grab him by a scruff of his nice cloak. cloak or yeah. whatever, yeah. And kind of uh, hold him as I as I recite a verse into his face. Excellent. My mother's man has left her dead. Treachery tears the treaty of faith. A guilty man unpunished. What says Christ of murder? And I'll put, shove him away with that question. <laughs> what says Christ of murder? Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we'll end the episode there Sounds with that great. dramatic conclusion. Perfect. Next time we will pick up uh, with this story and we will have you arriving at the all thing and pressing your case against Islif Gitzerson. <laughs> all right. Good. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Right. Awesome. Thank you for being on the show. All right. So let's call it. Great. So everybody remember, get your review on Unstitcher, get your portrait drawn. You can be uh, crawling out of a grave <laughs> with two other people next to you. But soon to be out of debt. <laughs> Moving on up. <laughs> no longer in a grave. <laughs> no longer in a grave. <laughs> yep. Or, you know, it can draw you like with greased shoes while trying to hang on to a heifer. <laughs> <laughs> so all very respectable poses for a portrait. Just uh, write to me at deadideaspod at gmail.com after you do a review on Stitcher and I'll make you look awesome, I promise. All right, so I'll see you next time for the conclusion of our role-playing episodes. I'm B.T. Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas.